0: Well, I guess I'll have to cut my message, message down this morning, seeing as we have the Lord's table, and uh, there's plenty to, you know, it's always this way, there's so much to talk about, and I, as I said, the two pages of the Bible that I have opened, not your Bible, but the two pages of the Bible that I have opened are a record of 1,007 years. In man's history, and beyond that, eternity and the end of all time measurements. Imagine, on just two pages of the scripture in the book of Revelation. Having to do with the time of great tribulation which is to come upon the face of the earth, there's so little real teaching anymore, people are satisfied with what I call tidbits. I don't know what they go to church for, really. I would assume that people go to church to be taught the Word of God and not to have some commentary up in the pulpit on the last book that's been written and give a treatise on some secular novel or something or have a service where it is a jazz mass In some churches or in Protestant churches where the pastor puts on leotards and dances out his sermon. Now, in the first place, I wouldn't look good in (laughs) leotards. And when God speaks, he speaks through his word. May I remind you of that? I've never read a verse that says, faith cometh by dancing. I've never read a verse that says, faith comes by some jazz presentation. I do read, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So anybody that gets any of these ideas, you know, that uh, there has to be a new way to present the gospel, well, I want to tell you there's no other way but the word of God. There's no possibility outside of the Word of God. And so when I look at these two pages in my Bible, and we'll be on them for quite a while, they they cover a great area over in Revelation 19 and 20. If you turn there, I'd just like to fill in the backdrop if I could just once more. The world is now in that early formative stage of setting the scene for the great and final conflict of which... General MacArthur spoke, and all President Nixon, when they speak of the Battle of Armageddon, I hope they know what they're talking about. I believe General MacArthur may have well known what he was talking about. But when they talk of the Battle of Armageddon, it's not some mystical thing. It is a battle which God speaks about in his word, and all of the early formative stages leading up to that battle are certainly before us. And then After that battle of Armageddon, the thousand-year reign of Christ upon this earth that we now see, but in a pristine state, since creation will have been restored at that time to its original pristine beauty in the Adamic creation. And so this whole scene at the present time is leading to that, the Uh, great tribulation, the final battle of Armageddon, the situation will start naturally. In other words, there is already a natural formation of nations with the powers of the northern confederacy of Russia and China and all of these up in there. And as Ezekiel 36 says, with Israel coming back to the land, And Israel to be the place of spoil for the nations of the northern confederacy, and it tells you in the Scriptures this will happen in the last days, that the nations of the northern confederacy will seek, as Ezekiel tells us, to take a spoil for themselves, and that their whole desire will be to possess not only Israel but the Arab lands, not just one portion. Arab and Israeli lands are the richest on earth. They possess the black gold of earth, the chemicals of earth. As I said, in the Dead Sea, they say there's a trillion dollars worth of of chemicals. So the wealth is there and the desire will be, it will start naturally, but it will end supernaturally. It will end by the coming of Jesus Christ. Now I'm talking of the Great Tribulation. The coming of Jesus Christ And then he himself, with his great armies, bringing to an end the conflict. And I want to say, no nation is going to win the war. I don't know any nation that's ever won a war anyway. Do you, really? Look at the Vietnam thing. We say we're winning. You know, I mean, isn't it true? We say we're winning. What are we winning, you know? We In the end, does any war actually win anything? When I was a young man, there were, well, it was one war, and then a second war when I was a little older. But there was one war that was going to preserve mankind. Democracy would be preserved. I mean, this has been going on down through the centuries. This is not new. This battle we're having may be on a worldwide scope. It may have tremendous implications throughout the earth. But it's not the first time that men have fought for liberty. Let me say that. And so when we, there'll be no winner of this final conflict. Only God himself shall be the winner. Jesus Christ and the saints of heaven, it says, shall come. And this is the time of great tribulation. Now, if I can just give you a a visual picture, if I could, you know, so you sort of get an understanding. Here we are in the age of grace, see? And if I could draw a line like this, say, in here, and say, below this line is earth, above this line is heaven. You're in the age of grace up at this end. You are now waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ for His church. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord and the clouds in the air and then shall we ever be with the Lord for I will not suffer you to see the wrath which is to come. So we're waiting for Christ to come to take his bride, if I might say to himself. He's the bridegroom of the church and we're the bride. I'll talk about that in a minute. But this is what we're waiting for as a church. Now, heaven is up here. Here's that line. Below it is earth. Heaven is up here. Up in heaven, two great events happen. During this time of tribulation on earth, which takes in a seven-year period, I'll talk of this at another time, the 70th week of Daniel recorded in Daniel 2 and 9. I'll be talking about that at a later time. Just to say for now, the great tribulation, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Jesus. He says, and when you see the abomination of desolation come, remember... It's coming upon the earth. Little flesh shall live upon the face of the earth, he says, in that day. Little flesh. He says, except those days be shortened. What a terrible thing to think, that this terrible conflict that will be going on on earth. Half of it will be peaceful of that seven years. It will be sort of a peaceful situation between the rulers. There's going to be a great ruler over the face of the earth, an antichrist. He will seem like a Christ, but it will be a ruler, and there will be a There will be the beast who will be the head of the nations and the false prophet who will be head of religions. All false. And this will be on the earth at that time. The last half will be filled with with terrible terror upon the face of the earth. This is on the earth. Up in heaven here, two things happen. The judgment seat of Christ, which I spoke of, begins immediately when the church is caught up. And then near the end of that seven years is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at the end of the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation we're going to see, then the Lord comes with His saints and the battle of Armageddon takes place and He wins the battle against all the nations of the earth Very simply, it says, and the Lord sent fire upon all of them. They've been using their atomic bombs and their hydrogen bombs and thinking how big they are, you know. They make their little ones and they say, it has so many megatons power. And it tells us the Lord comes with His saints and fire descends upon the armies and He wipes them all out and then establishes His kingdom upon the earth. Now, I'd like to just for the little bit we have this morning talk to you, if I could. And I, and I, and I want to say this too. Uh, during that great tribulation and at the end of it, in the battle of Armageddon, uh, terrible things shall happen just toward the end there. And before the Lord establishes his, his millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign upon earth, The dead upon the fields of battle shall be tremendous. And uh, I think last year I spoke of the seven years of tribulation. I may have said seven years of burying the dead. It's seven months of burying the dead. Seven solid months to bury the dead upon the face of the earth. Now, Vietnam or the First World War, the Second World War, any war man has ever had, it doesn't take seven months to bury the dead. But I want to tell you, if the first, according to everything we know right now, we don't have to know anything supernaturally at this point. Right now, as I said, there are 35,000 tons of dynamite for every man, woman, and child on earth to blast them off the face of the earth. And it's all in atomic warfare. And the first atomic blast over the United States, if Russia, with her present armaments, remember, this is, you can read it in your papers, I don't know any secret information. If the blast was to come, 140 million people would lie dead. And I want to tell you that you and I are living in the place that would get it first. Somehow you don't pinpoint hydrogen bombs. The blast of a hydrogen bomb over New York City and the fallout and the great surge would go out 70 miles. Poor little Malvern here in this Franklin Avenue Baptist church. But, beloved, I just want to remind you that we're living in a day where we're seeing what man is able to do. Seven months it would take to bury the dead. Now, when this great conflict is going on upon the face of the earth, the marriage supper of the Lamb is taking place. This is tremendous to me. Well, how glad I am I'm saved this morning. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? Aren't you happy you're saved this morning? Listen, isn't the joy of the Lord in your heart? All right, the world's got its problems, but you and I know destiny and where we're going. If we have faith in Christ, we can see the whole world crumble. And we should recognize by now in man's history that man isn't much good at doing anything. That the world, with all the advances of education, with all the advances of science, we now know how to kill people better than ever before. And 90% of the world's great scientists are working on implements of destruction and not on instruments to cure cancer or to heal heart disease, or do anything else. This should give you a good measure of man. And so while this event is going on upon earth, and you and I will have been translated. Oh, listen, I hope you all believe this morning on Christ as your Savior. I wouldn't want any one of you to go through the great tribulation. I want to tell you it's on the doorstep some morning, some night, some evening, you're going to be amazed. I hope you won't be amazed because I hope you will have been translated to be with your Savior. But there are going to be some left behind It says that there'll be husbands and wives and one will be taken and the other left. We have to recognize that there'll be at that time the knowledge will be ours that all that passed again preached from the Word of God was inviolable truth that Christ would come and would catch His church up to be with Himself. And then, while they're up there, the judgment seat of Christ to judge them for the deeds done in the body, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb. But on earth, all hell breaking loose and little flesh living. And it says, and the men will cry, let the mountains fall on us and hide us from the face of this God. They recognize." hide us away from the wrath of God because man will have come to the end and the Lord Himself declaring war upon all the nations of earth. We're the only nation on the earth that claims to be Christian, really Christian. We say we're a Christian nation. God help us. If this nation is Christian with the violence we have in it, what are the other nations? This is what we're facing. Now, and I'm going to be talking later about Daniel and and, and bring this all in together gloriously for you. But now seeing this, in heaven up here, the judgment seat of Christ first, then the marriage supper of the Lamb. On earth down here, the church translated to be with its Lord for that judgment seat in the marriage supper, and then on earth the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of Israel's judgment. For Israel is in this judgment. It's upon Israel they seek to plunge themselves and together gather a spoil to themselves. And so it is the time of Jacob's trouble. That's what God calls it. The abomination of desolation spoken of, Jesus says, by Daniel the prophet, the 70th week of Daniel. Seven years long. Armageddon. the terrible battle and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, this is, a, this is a great subject. I could speak on this for several weeks. Marriage, marriage. The marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, may I say this just quickly? It's a terrible, terrible thing how the world takes marriage and discusses it from their worldly level. I would remind you that marriage is that which was ordained of God. The world can take marriage, and I read articles lately by some of the great advocates of no marriage... You know, Timothy speaks of that. There'll be those teachers will come forbidding to marry. He said it's the sign of the last days and we're in them. Forbidding to marry. But marriage is of God. God ordained marriage. God ordained the marriage bed. He says the marriage bed is honorable in all, but whoremongers God will judge And I want to tell you that premarital love is whoremongering. Don't you fool yourself. You can give it other names. But there is no other name. Free love in God's eyes is the deepest and most defiling of sins because it does something that God has never wanted done. May I remind you that, honestly, only the Christian born again knows what marriage is. because marriage is a picture for mankind. When God ordained marriage, I would remind you that he had but one thing in mind, and that was that this man and this woman being joined joined together as one should be a picture of his coming son and the relationship he would bear to the church, that the church would be one with him. What does he say in the Gospel of John? Father, that they all may be one. I in them, and them, thou in me, that we may be one. The oneness that the church has with Jesus Christ. He says this, You are members of my flesh and of my bones. What does he say when you marry? And ye two shall be what? One flesh. And so the only one that understands marriage is the Christian. People may be joined together by the state. I don't marry anybody but born again Christians. Lots of people come to me to get married. I don't marry anyone except they both know Christ as their personal Savior. The state can marry anybody if they want to just legally live together, if that's all they desire. If they want the blessings of Christ upon their marriage, they must both be in Christ. For how shall they know the beauty of marriage and what marriage means? Unless they're both in Christ. Actually, what happens in marriage is a tremendous thing. You'll remember Adam and how God took... Even the word woman should indicate it to you. Woman means out of man. you remember that God took Eve out of Adam's side. And actually, when a couple get married... They are reestablishing the relationship, being joined together as one again. And as being joined together in Christ. That glorious oneness with Jesus and the oneness of those being married. It becomes a trinity. May I say it that way? Husband, wife, and Christ. then there can be understanding of what marriage is. Non Christians, all they know is they get married. It gives them certain privileges in life if they wait that long. That's a dreadful thing to say, but this is the world I'm living in. But I would remind you that the marriage supper of the Lamb that I am going to just read the portion to you. I'm not going to go too far into it because we have the supper of the Lord today, but this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And gloriously, this table is a, is a picture of that. It's a picture of our oneness with Jesus Christ. We're all, in a great sense, you'll see the little pieces of bread on the, on the table. They'll all be broken from one bread. One loaf of bread. And each piece is broken from the one loaf of bread. And it's indicating that we're all one. Paul puts it well. He says, for we are all one loaf. Part of each other. Part of Jesus Christ. you are all very quiet. You know, thoughts come into my mind sometimes, you know, and I think to myself, uh, how long can I stay today? (laughs) Well, I won't. I won't. I'd like to, but I won't. All right, fifth verse of Revelation 19. I'd like to just read you the portion concerning the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is the thing which heaven has looked forward to, all the angels have looked forward to, God the Father's look forward to. Christ the Son has looked forward to. The gathering out of a great family for Himself. With a with a relationship that is tremendous to him. He does everything to make that relationship. My relationship to God is so much closer than to my mother and father, who have long since died. Because I have a relationship with God that is an intense relationship. I've been made a son of God through faith in Jesus Christ, so he's my father. Jesus is the first and prime, the only begotten son of God, so he is my brother. So I have a brother relationship to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am not ashamed to call you my brethren. So I have a brother relationship to Jesus Christ. God the Father says, ye are my friends. Jesus says, ye are my friends. If ye do whatsoever I say unto you, I am friend with him. Isn't it great? Isn't it nice when your husband's a friend too? Isn't it? Isn't it nice when your wife's a friend? Huh? Isn't it? You see, God's making sure we've got every relationship possible. Father to son. Brother to brother. Friend to friend. And then bride and bridegroom. This is a relationship, you see, that that is the only possibility of us knowing the deep intimacy of his relationship with us. That's why the very act of conjugal love, beloved, has to do with Christ joining to his church. And if you haven't understood that, you've missed the whole message of God to your hearts. Conjugal love is not something that you dispense at your will or some biological urge. It is that which is given to you to show you the depth and the holiness and the beauty of Jesus' love for you. That's why Christian marriage is the only kind of marriage that has any meaning. Now listen to it. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, "Alleluia! for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And the church is the bride. The church is the body of Christ. The church is that which is member of his flesh and of his bones. The marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. I'm just saying this quickly. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 and 2, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you unto one husband, that I might present you as a chaste virgin unto Jesus Christ. I have no adulterous relationship with any spiritual faction in all the world. I have no other God but Him. He is my only one, the one I love. Therefore, I am a chaste virgin unto Christ. My eyes are upon Him as my Savior, the Lord of my life. And so, in this day, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride, the wife, hath made herself ready. And the judgment seat of Christ was where the bride was making herself ready, everything taken care of, all things brought out, as I said a couple of weeks ago. No matter what they are, you don't want to go into eternity with one little thing between you and Jesus. And so He gets them all cleared up. He brings it all out at the judgment seat, the little things that may have been between you and Him on earth. He brings it all out and so you, when you get into eternity you won't have any reservations of heart or mind. You won't have any thoughts about that former life and the things you did. But you forget Jesus will bring up so that it will all be cleared away and in His presence as His bride you've made yourself ready and the marriage of the Lamb is come and the bride hath made herself Ready, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now may I say this? And then I conclude. And I have to say this to every individual. Are you ready? The wife hath made herself ready there are two places that you can make yourself ready. May I say this? Now, or at the judgment seat. And now is the better time. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son. We're going to read in the Lord's Supper that He chastens us that we should not be judged with the world. Our judgment is, should be now. Judgment must begin, Jesus says, on the house of God. And so, are you ready? Beloved, if Jesus were to come today, would you be ready? Would you really be ready, honestly, in your heart, looking into your life with with a real open heart? And I'm not saying covering up anything. Don't cover anything. Look at yourself for what you are, what your life is, what you are as a mother or a father or a boy or a girl, a son or a daughter. Are you ready? The bride hath made herself ready. The only reason I'm here in this pulpit is so you won't have to get ready at the judgment seat of Jesus that you can get ready now and clear out all the debris of your life, clear out all of the hidden secrets of your life, all of the secret sin of your life, clear it all out, confess it all and clear your heart of anything between you and God that you might have that perfect communion with Him upon the face of this earth. That's what God wants. That's what He wants between a bride and a bridegroom. You want that intimate relationship, let me say, with your husband or wife, if you're really in love, you're not satisfied with anything but the best in your married life and a deep and a holy and an intimate relationship that God has ordained for you. You know what it means to be a husband or a wife. I'll speak about this more. But you know what it means because God has ordained the way you shall live it. Not you. Not you. You don't set the pattern. You don't say, well, the Bible says the wife should do this and the husband should do this, but I don't care. I live the way I want. This isn't for the Christian. The Christian lives according to the Word of God. Beloved, are you ready for the bridegroom? Are you? If the bridegroom were to come today, would you be all ready to see him? Would you? How's your married life? Hmm? How is it? Is it good? Are you just sort of enduring it? That's not Christian. It's not Christian. You both work at it. You both work at it. You say, this is what God wants for me in my married life. He's ordained it. Listen, you all you've got to do is read the Word to know what it should be like. And then it should be beautiful. It should be beautiful. God will make it this way. Christian husband born again, Christian wife born again, son or daughter born again. You can know what your relationship is to be with God through the Scriptures. Husband and wife, you can know what kind of love you're supposed to have for each other and what your feelings are supposed to be without each other, for each other, and that you are not your own. That Paul says a man has no control of his body but his wife. A wife has no control of her body but her husband. You have been completely given to each other and God has ordained a beautiful and glorious relationship in you that shall picture to you the holy relationship of Jesus Christ and His church, the bride. Have you partaken of it? Life's too short not to have the best. You've got to have the best. And I just pray this morning. I'll say more about this, but This is just the beginning on a theme, I think, that's tremendous for our hearts together. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy precious Word. Lord, help us to understand no one but a Christian understands marriage, really understands it since it was to be a picture of Christ and His church. And as we who have come to Christ and been born again, we pray, that that holy relationship of marriage and the family may be so blessed of God that we may understand fully all of the glories of it, all of the beauty of it, and that there shall be in this church family lives that are shining lights to the community they live in of what Christ wants for those who are joined together. It's only as such a witness is born in neighborhoods that others will seek Christ as their personal Savior. Then, Father, if anyone here this morning is not in Christ, we pray that they might come to him as personal Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.